This is Carrie Ann. And I'm Allison. And this is Podcast Without an Audience. Where two friends pick two topics and discuss intersectionality. And that's what we're doing. That's we'll what we're here it for. Or not. Who knows? Um, I had a moment this week uh, when we were talking and discussing, you know, this podcast mm-hmm. and trying to figure out what the intersectionality is. And you said something about human connection. And I just, like, all the alarms went off yes. in my head. And I was like, yes, that's exactly what we're doing. We're calling human connection intersectionality and yeah i think maybe it'll develop into something that's about yeah how we're all connected together the butterfly effect kind of exactly yeah yeah good reference thank you you're so welcome (laughs) i gotta write this week (laughs) (laughs) so i am so so excited to share this thing with you okay i have so many exciting things to share with you really quickly my body is ready first prepare yourself there is a band in taiwan okay that does Buddhist death metal. Whoa! And it is the greatest thing ever. They take Buddhist chants and turn them into death. Yeah, yeah. They got the guttural thing going. They wow. fake blood on their face. Nuns open the show. Really? Yes. Do the nuns perform on their own? They. I, I don't. I we only watched. We, didn't, we researched only half of the story. I, I only went like five levels deep in, <laughs> in YouTube videos. Wow. So do they have like a following? They do. They have a huge following at this point. Um, their name is Dharma, which okay, is a great cute. name like for it. a Buddhist death metal band. So that's been my, my thing this week is I've been listening to Buddhist death metal. So are, is your Spotify like requesting? It's very confusing. It's suggesting now. a lot of interesting things. It it's is. like sharing a Netflix account with somebody. Exactly. Um, except I'm sharing it with myself and the other people who live in my head. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. It's like that Pixar movie. Yeah, inside out, exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anger in mm-hmm. my head really loves Buddhist death metal. Mm-hmm. So does joy, really. All right. everyone's involved. Everyone's there in the audience supporting <laughs> the Buddhist death metal. Well, that's fabulous. So if this doesn't work out, maybe we should consider that as a second option. I think we would have to adopt Buddhism as a spiritual practice. Um, so we are yeah. a couple of steps away from okay. taking that as our second option. But we could make, you know. Well, we only have 40 years left in the workforce. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> I say that all the time. It's, <laughs> it's the most grounding thing you could you, like ever think about. I really did not need to hear that. But we need to be thinking about how we're going to spend that time. That's true. And doing something productive and creative and, and whatever. Yeah, something we really love. That is to make you happy. Because I know that there's people who work at their jobs forever and that are just miserable. It's like yeah. the Stanleys of the world. This is a run-out-the-clock situation. <laughs> yeah, uh, and we can't all just bring our crossword puzzles and stare at a computer for yep. eight hours a day. That's true. Um, I also saw a meme this week that said, it's getting harder and harder to jump out of bed and stumble to the kitchen and pour myself a couple, cup of ambition. That's exactly right. The 9-to-5 dream just isn't working for me anymore. No. Well, and, and you're working from home. How are you? I... I'm doing so well. Yeah. I think the it, best, really. <laughs> you were made for this. We got cat called the other day by an eight year old. I'd forgotten about that. We did. We got, we Are were. Are you okay? Have you unpacked that at all? I kind of just blocked it out of my memory mm-hmm. and am refusing to think about all of the implications mm-hmm. of being cat called from the back of a 
from a kid sitting in the back of a pickup truck. Right. So just to kind of set the scene, we were sitting on the porch of our friend's house, kind of having mm-hmm. a social distance, human interaction time. It was really nice, really mm-hmm. fun. Um, and we're in like a like a, a regular neighborhood, and then a truck drives by. Presumably a father is in the front driving. He has his elementary school boys in the back of the truck bed. Mm-hmm. And... They screamed um, something about calling them. Yeah, it was, uh, my name is Andrew or something, but you can call me anytime. Right. Uh-huh. However, an eight-year-old or nine-year-old he does pick up lines. in my eyes. I know. I was the one sitting in the middle, so it was like everybody else was kind of off to the side. So it was like, I, I felt like... I I really feel like it was one of those paintings where the eyes just follow you no matter where you are in the room, because I also felt like he was making direct eye contact with me. Maybe I'm just projecting. Well, it could also be that as he drove past, um, he started with you and then turned towards me. He was like, everybody's getting some of this. And no one wanted it. Well, and I really wish that there had been a stop sign or a stoplight. And I think everybody's really... Um, this happens to everybody, but after a situation happens, you realize that you did not react in the way that you would have because you're kind of in shock. I could have said this, I could have done that, which will kind of go back into my my story today, actually, with oh. my topic that I'm discussing. But was it inspired by this nine year old? It is not, or just coincident? Coincidence, actually. I love when yeah. that happens. Nobody, there was no cat calling in my stories. Okay. Um, At least but, not yet. No, but I think about this kid is going to grow up and be like, he's like, he felt so good about that. You he know? did. He like, was really proud of himself. He was being brave and like, you know, but like, what kind of conversation does that dad have now with his kid? And like, I'm sure, you know, he probably yeah. didn't. Anyway, I'm 99% sure there was zero conversation. Um, I agree. And I feel like, where does this kid learn how to cat call at such a young age? It's mm-hmm. not coincidence that he knows pickup lines mm-hmm. so clearly he's seen other people do this probably dad dad you're not listening <laughs> no one is listening <laughs> don't say that there's a lot of people listening there's more people than i i mean I'm that's just, true I'm you're right thrilled. you're right i know me too i'm so excited yeah but if you're out there keep listening so i have something and i feel like at the beginning of the segment we should have a, a portion that's called guess who died last night because oh. we're just discussing every like it, everybody's dropping like flies right now and it's, it's absolutely ridiculous larry flint has died he is the the creator of hustler the magazine the nudie magazine oh yeah oh, the straight nudie magazine Right. Are there? Well, I'm sure they're they're probably gay. Queer. I don't know. I don't look at movie magazines typically. Here we go. So everyone knows what to get you for your birthday. (laughs) Um, So I have like a a story. My my aunt uh, used to live in Nashville, Tennessee. We went out to a bar and we dared my mom to order a martini. Mm -hmm. And this is what she said. And no, I mean she's just like a sweet lady she's got a little bit of sass the fact that she agreed to say this so she orders her martini she's like hello bartender she's like i'd like a martini i'd like a vodka martini i don't want any of that pussy shit i want it larry flint filthy your mother said said that nancy your mother said (laughs) this what you should have seen the guy's face he was like uh, very much unsure of how to handle the situation <laughs> and then immediately she, like she totally kept a straight face uh-huh. and then like as she turned away there was like this biggest grin on her face oh, she'd so never said that word out loud 
at least in my adult life at that point I think I was like 24 maybe we had a really fun night that night we went out there's a um a bar like a gay bar called the lipstick lounge and they do karaoke and we sang karaoke and we just had like you can smoke in bars there what shout out yes to Nashville <laughs> there's there it's like the 90s yeah I yeah, can't I believe that anyone still smokes in any restaurant. I remember that stuff growing up. I know. You go into Chili's smoking or non-smoking. Yeah. Yeah, I know. But um, the next day is when I fainted at the gas station and cracked my head open. I remember that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You get those staples in like rural Tennessee. Yep, yep. You called you me. take the... me anywhere. Yeah. So I have a thing that I heard this week that I thought you would really enjoy. Okay. So um, I work with youth in foster care, which you know, mm-hmm. and... Um, I did the five love languages quizzes quiz with one of my kids recently. Yes. Now there are all sorts of issues with like the five love languages. It was started by a Baptist preacher, I think in South Carolina or Georgia, someplace like that. Oh, I never knew that. Yeah. So, um, but anyways, we did the five love languages and it just so happened. I was in a team meeting and we were discussing the five love languages. And at the end of the meeting, one of my, um, supervisors looked at all of us and said, my hope for you this week is that you experience your primary love language. Hmm. And I thought that was so That's really fantastic. I felt so seen. I know. I'm like, I don't know why. It's making me feel emotional. I know. Me too. And I think it's because living in a pandemic, my primary love language is touch. Mm -hmm. I live alone. Mm -hmm. My cats are cool, but they don't really satisfy that need. So I got a weighted blanket early on. I know. Which was really nice. Yeah. Amazon ran out of that. They They're like, get it while it's hot, guys. They're like, all you touch people who live alone, mm-hmm. you need to feel cuddled. Mm-hmm. Here's a weighted blanket. Right. They should have just sent it to all of us for free. Yeah, I think that's part of like the stimulus packet <laughs> for, uh, for that, this next round. So. That's exactly what mm-hmm. this was intended for. So I just wanted to share with you because it brought me so much comfort. I think that that is really nice. Understanding that obviously everybody needs different things. Everybody's at such a different place in their lives. Everybody's experiencing Everything is different, and yet the same in the fact that we're all feeling uncomfortable with the way that the world is right now. If you're not, that's problematic, I think, (laughs) probably the reason why we're still in the state. But no, that's really nice to just say, because mine is... mine. Mine is um, personal time together, I would say, and acts of service. Like, I love a good unload the dishwasher. So what are we talking about today? Well... What do we got? Okay, so we are going to keep things really light and fun today. Oh, good. For me. That means it's going to be really heavy. Yes. uh, We're (laughs) going to talk about cultural appropriation and social work with developmental and social theories. Okay, let's dive on in. We are diving. Okay. We are here. Splash. Um, (laughs) Specifically, we're going to talk about Maslow's hierarchy of needs and the chakras. Ooh, okay. Intersectionality? What's up? I took an AP psychology class in high school, so if you have any questions, let me know. I certainly will. I will be calling on you frequently throughout this. Totally Um, passed it. Mm-hmm. I'm mm-hmm. so, so glad to have you at this table. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so I feel like I have to credit a few people because unfortunately I did not come up with this idea. Okay. Um, oh. I heard a TikTok on this sometime oh. in the past like two weeks. And Stop. I don't remember who actually posted it and I forgot to save it to my phone. So if anyone knows the TikToker who posted this thing, feel free to let them know and ask them to listen to our podcast. Oh. I also read several articles, uh, one from like Psychology Today, 
um, a few articles about chakras in general. And then if you Google Maslow's hierarchy of needs and chakras, there are also like 2,000 of my closest friends who have written articles about this too. Oh, yeah. So I am by no means the first. I'm just the one telling you about it today. Right. So let's start at the very beginning. A very good place to start with <laughs> chakras. Mm-hmm. So the chakra system originated in India between 1500 and 500 BC. Okay. Um, the first known text that was written is called Vedas. Okay. And chakras are thought of as like little spinning discs or wheels of energy that run up through your spine. The health of your chakra is connected to your physical body, mind, and emotional well-being. According to my good friend, Wikipedia, <laughs> same. <laughs> the exact number of chakras differs between Indian religions, and you know that there are you yeah. know, just so many variations of belief. So Buddhist texts mention like five. Mm-hmm. Hindu texts have six to seven, and then there are other texts that think that there are hundreds or even thousands of these little energy orbs right. floating throughout your body, right, like- probably grounded in some way sure hmm? and and acupuncture comes from that too it's kind of like another way to, to exactly say that. Yeah. yeah yeah for the sake of today's conversation we could have talked about five chakras but we're actually going to talk about seven because i feel like that's the most commonly mm-hmm. accepted yeah. um, now i know that you have you have some spiritual practices mm-hmm. relating to feeling connected but i'm going to tell you a little bit about the chakras Please assuming do. that you know nothing because i know that this is not your specialty psychology is so. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> walk me through a girl all right so at the very bottom we have the root chakra which is located at the base of the spine and this is what grounds you to the earth and connects mm-hmm. you to your physical self it's responsible for your sense of safety security it's basically life survival and safety keeping you grounded keeping you grounded and then we have the sacral chakra which is just below your belly button it's often associated with sexuality mm. and self-worth, which I think is a beautiful marriage of two. Oh. And, I mean, I've read lots of books about the chakras before, but mm. going back and rereading them, I thought it was really interesting. Yeah. That these are the two words that really stood out to me. I don't know. Honestly, I really don't know a ton about the chakras specifically. Really? I've always been around other people who, who know it, and so I've just kind of gone with the flow. So I know probably the basics, probably as much as... The majority of people listening, I'm sure. Oh, good. Mm-hmm. Well, in that case, I'm glad I get to tell you about yes. them. Then we have the solar plexus chakra, okay. which is in like the upper abdomen, mm-hmm. stomach area. Mm-hmm. And this is where you derive your personal power, your self-esteem, confidence. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you're like lifting up your... Yeah, you're just letting so all of that come out. So it's where your ribs kind of meet exactly. in that middle spot. Okay. Also, I think it's important to note that we both have our hands like right over our chakras <laughs> as I'm going up. I lifted up my shirt to show my belly. <laughs> <laughs> that is the solar plexus, uh, upper area, confidence. Um, this is also where you derive your wisdom. So think of like your gut feelings. Okay. If your uh, solar plexus chakra is open and you know functioning fully, mm-hmm. which is the goal, mm-hmm. um, then you have really good intuition and gut feelings. Yeah. Then you have your heart chakra, which is not directly above your heart, but like if your heart was right in front of your spine. Mm -hmm. And this is like the deep bonds with other people, compassion, self-love, generosity, kindness, respect, um, and belonging. It's interesting because when I'm I'm stressed, 
I feel a really heavy tightening right here in, in yeah. kind of that, that area. That's yeah. where I manifest my stress the most. That's one of the places I manifest stress too. And that fear. and my neck. And your neck too? Mm -hmm. oh. We're just going to give ourselves massages yep. sitting across the table What's from the, each other. Um, so moving up, what would be the... So oh, that's the throat. This is the throat chakra. Okay. Yep. Yep. Aptly named. And this is responsible for self-expression, communication, and truth, mm -hmm. um, which I think is why my throat like starts to ache sometimes because I don't always feel like I do a good job of communicating. Mm. It's something I've been working on yeah. during the, the pandemic. I think it's been, I think you communicate really well, especially like words of affirmation. You're really good about that. But having hard conversations, I imagine, is probably harder yeah. for you. Yeah, I definitely, um, I, I'm practicing. Yeah. But... And with people I'm super comfortable with, I don't mind. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, if you and I need to have a hard conversation, I feel mm -hmm. like we can do that. And there's already a level of trust, yeah. but other people, not so much. Sure. So then we're going to move up to the third eye, which is like, yep, just between your eyebrows. Mm -hmm. um, and that's the center of your intuition, foresight, um, perception. And this directs our sight and everyday awareness of the world. And that's a meditation in and of itself is to focus on that yeah. eye element, right? You can actually do full meditations just focusing on each of the different chakras. Oh, I love that. Um, in just a second, let me tell you the seventh chakra, and then I will tell you a quick meditation that I really like to do. Oh, okay. Okay. So the seventh chakra is at the top of your head, and mm -hmm. it's your crown chakra, and this connects to your higher consciousness. Um, it's the center of trust, devotion, inspiration, harmony, compassion, and oneness. Ooh, I love a good oneness. I know, me too. So do not listen to this recording while you are driving <laughs> or operating heavy operating machinery. Operating machinery. All um, you uh, yeah, forklift drivers listening to us right now. <laughs> but my, one of my favorite meditations is to sit and have like both feet on the floor and imagine roots going all the way to the center of the earth. Okay. And then you think about each chakra as like a flower and it's opening mm -hmm. and you can control how much it's opened or closed. Okay. So by, you know, just focusing on each of the seven centers and opening them all up, then you just feel really good and connected. And mm. you think about all the different words that are associated with each one. Okay. I like that. Yeah. It's fun. So those are our seven chakras. Let's talk about Maslow. Okay. Do you know much about Maslow from your AP psych what class? I, what I remember is that you meet, you have to meet them in order. Right. And it's basically the, the staircase to happiness, essentially. Yeah, yeah. Um, often thought of as a pyramid, too. I've seen it as a staircase. Mm -hmm. You know, Pyramids either one key. works. So Abraham Maslow. Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln Maslow wrote a paper called A Theory of Human Motivation in 1943. In that paper, he wrote about things that, like, motivate and drive humans. Mm -hmm. This is where Maslow's hierarchy of needs comes from. Except what's really interesting about this is that it wasn't based in scientific principles or rigorous, like, research. Mm. Instead, he was just kind of hypothesizing that maybe this is how things work. Sure. And he's not wrong. Right. He's which, like, it looks good to me. Yeah. I mean, this makes sense logically uh -huh. if you think about it. And he was the first one to put it on paper who was a oh. white man. So right. there's what that. A good, uh, what good luck that would be for him. He's like, well, nobody said it yet, so I'm going to write it down. <laughs> Give me all the money. Yep. Uh, again, back to cultural appropriation, which we'll get to in just right. a moment. Can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> but Maslow's hierarchy of needs, there are five rather than seven. Okay. His first four are in line with the first four chakras, and the fifth is like five, six, and seven all pushed together. Gotcha. 
So he said that your most basic need is your physiological needs. You need water, air, sleep, food, etc. You need to feel safe, which is associated with the root chakra. Your second need is safety and security. So safety of your body, which again, remember that sacral chakra was associated with sex and in- intimacy. intimacy, sort of. The heart is also associated with intimacy. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. But it's safety and security of the body, resources, family, health, employment, property, etc. Mm-hmm. So it's all about... So the um, first one is basic needs. Right. You gotta eat, gotta sleep. As long exactly. as you're living and breathing and getting medical attention, you've met the first one. Physical safety. The second one is... Like felt safety right. and security. Okay. And then moving up, so he calls this love and belongingness is the third one. Um, and it's actually, we're going to think about it as the third chakra, even okay. though they all start to kind of meld together at this right. point. Right. Um, so belongingness within a family, friendship, again, sexual uh, intimacy here pulled from the chakras. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Level four is, he calls it esteem, and it's your confidence, achievement, and respect and it's associated with your heart chakra so the the third would be feeling safe like almost like a community and exactly. then and then now we're going outside the community to feel respected right by others yes got it and then the very highest one is um self-actualization so this is like Aww. higher level thinking creativity problem solving academic stuff happens Ooh. at the very top so okay. you've got to, you know, have food and water before you can start thinking about mm-hmm. school. Sure. Um, you have to feel like you belong within a family or a social support before you feel like you can be accepted by broader society. Is it is it intentionally like a specifically academic or can it be like psych, like because there's a, a philosopher called Csikszentmihalyi and he has the concept of flow which is like you're so into what you're doing that it becomes like an out-of-body experience and you're right. going through the motions. It's kind of meditative in and of itself. Abs- yeah, that would definitely be associated with the top level okay. of so- self-actualization. Okay. Yeah, so good plug. Excellent. You're just making all sorts <laughs> of connections today. I'm trying today. to be helpful. You are. See, that AP psychology mm-hmm. class did you good. So all these things like really seem to build on each other. If you don't feel safe with your root chakra or, you know, your physical needs being met, then you can't learn about your sense of self and you can't get to like the third level of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. There are some similarities here. Also, if you look in a textbook at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, the the very bottom need of safety is always red. The top need is always either purple or blue and they go up in like a rainbow mm. pattern just like the chakras do. Right. So they weren't very subtle mm-hmm. about any of this. <laughs> He's um, like, I, this is definitely an independent thought not stolen <laughs> from exactly Eastern traditions. So question, when, when people see uh, like the color of your aura, for example, mm-hmm. is that associated with a chakra? That's a great question. I'm going to say yes, but I did Let's not yes. actually do research about absolutely that. So it I'm going to say yes. Absolutely it is. What we don't know is if Maslow knew about chakras when he wrote his paper. 1,000%. He, he knew. He most likely knew. However, remember, this is uh, 1943. And as we know, Al Gore invented the internet 
but that did not happen in 1943. Uh, so it's possible that he... Oh my God, there were totally books about it. Well, and that's what we're getting to. There's a concept of modern Western chakra systems that arose from a few people. Gotcha. Okay. Including Sir John Woodruff. In 1919, he wrote a book called The Serpent Power, which I need to read. It is, you know, we're going to order it. And Charles Ledbetter wrote a book called The Chakras in 1927. So these are both white men in, you know, Western Europe. This is like the equivalent of some Christian communities feeling really uncomfortable with practicing yoga. So they come up with their own prayer pose equivalent just to kind of whitewash the whole thing and make it... That's exactly what this for is. Themselves. Got it. Cultural appropriation mm-hmm. at its worst and best. Worst? Just worst. <laughs> I think that to take away religion from it and just use it for your own gain is, it's unhealthy. Like you're, you're appropriating another culture's religious practice. Mm-hmm. But there, there's no concrete evidence that Maslow knew. My guess is he probably did. Now, whether he subconsciously like knew this thing about the chakras and then moved it into his own writing, mm-hmm. or did it consciously, I, we just don't know. We just we just don't know, honey. We, we just, just don't, don't know. know. I mean, he totally did, but there's no way to pin him on. Exactly, exactly. And he's long dead, so there goes that option. So before I wrap up here, I do want to throw in some of my own thoughts. Mm-hmm. And I want to make the connection to trauma because that's what I do. I'm a social worker who has an interest in mental health and healing systems and communities. So one of the most powerful things that I've experienced when working with Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs, I was working at a school and working to develop a multi-tiered system of support for children with disabilities. Okay. So multi-tiered, think, you know, Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. How can we support kids to get them, you know, wherever they need to be? A brilliant coworker of mine showed me two triangles that both had Maslow's hierarchy of needs written down in them. One was like the normal triangle that we all know where safety's at the bottom and it's really big and then it gets smaller as you get to the top with self-actualization. The other triangle was inverted. Mm-hmm. And yeah. what? The upside down. The upside down. The largest section was at the top. The self-actualization was really big and then safety was really small. Hmm. Now, she had not created these triangles and I have no idea where she got them. If I do, I tried to Google it. If I see them again, I will... At the citation. What we realized throughout the course of our discussion is that where she pointed out that if we think about them not in terms of like most important to least important, but rather where we spent the bulk of our energy, mm. then really we need to be looking at the inverted triangle. Right. Okay. Like if you have all of your basic needs met, if you, you know, know where you're going to be sleeping at night, you know that you have food in the fridge, you spend very little time thinking about safety. Mm-hmm. Um, even though it's important, you spend very little time there, which is the inverted triangle with time. Yeah. So people who have their needs met with little to no trauma spend the majority of their time in the higher level thinking. Um, they're able to focus on school, do all their work, have big and abstract thoughts. And it's because everything that came before that was met for them. So this would be more of like a, I mean, I don't want to say privileged, but a more... Um... I mean, I think privileged is actually a pretty good term, like... People yeah. who haven't experienced trauma are privileged in a lot of ways. That's true. Um, people who have all their needs met, who have never experienced homelessness poverty. or poverty, mm-hmm. who have never been witness to domestic violence or experienced domestic violence, like mm-hmm. those are all privileges. Yep. Absolutely. So I think that that's a great word for it. Right. What we're realizing in classrooms and with kids 
you know, in foster care is they're not able to get to where they should be spending the majority of their time. And it's because they're still focused on this felt safety or physical safety. So that's right. Yeah. This is where I see a true alignment with the chakras and where I think Maslow really did a disservice to the hierarchy of needs. Understanding the chakras means that you understand that they're all valuable and all important and they all have to be aligned and open. Mm -hmm. What Western society fails to understand is without meeting the most basic needs of people, they can't get to the higher level. They all need to be met. We think, you know, you meet one, check it off and you're good. Whereas the chakras, you're constantly thinking about all of them. Absolutely. And And in fact, it's like a conscious effort effort to do so because it's it's um self-care exactly yeah exactly and even you know the act of self-care has its own privileges but in eastern ideology and theories they really put forth effort into understanding having all of those needs met at all times whereas you know here in the u.s Mm -hmm. um if you have a roof over your head then we can just jump straight up to the highest level in school and you're expected to be able to perform well. Right, sure. Right. Yeah. Oh, God, so problematic. I know. Our system is so broken. And that, that goes back to also people assuming that, I mean, government assistance is always a huge conversation about, you know, needs being met. And so then now everything is right good and dandy and 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 that's just obviously not true exactly we're expecting people you know to have a house and get a job but if that housing is unstable if you know they still don't have enough money for food if they still have medical bills and they're working three jobs well and something other like something i think about a lot is that um uh like food stamps for example don't cover basic like advil Right. Pet food. Yeah. I mean, basic things that we, we need. Right. Yeah. I, I agree with you. And I think that if we were to do a better job of meeting people's needs, then we can allow them to get to the place where they're actually able to thrive and contribute to society. Because mm-hmm. I believe that people genuinely want to, mm-hmm. you know, help other people or... So we have the regular hierarchy of needs, which would be assumed for a non-privileged person. And right. And it's then inverted... Given much more opportunity to exactly uh, spend focus on the enlightenment portion for people who right. Whereas the chakras say that each one is equally important, and we need to constantly circle back to all of them. Right. So I don't know wow. that I did a great job of explaining all that. No, you did. I mean, this is this is really uh, I think an important conversation. Because um, you're looking at it, obviously, I mean, we use the word lenses all the time, but you're looking at it through these two different lenses, or even three, considering the timeline here. Yeah. I mean, there's a, everybody's going to have their own experiences and um, their own relationship with developing and meeting their needs. and Right. You know, but I think it's also important to know that um, the, I guess evolving to the next level, so to speak, for these needs is always being helped by someone else. No, you're absolutely right. I have one last sentence and then we can transition over. But my very, it's probably my favorite sentence from my whole thing is the conclusion here is that Chakras did it first and better and Maslow is the Reader's Digest version. Hey! hey I was so proud of that when I wrote it. I love it. that. Thank you. Yeah, he's, um, I mean, I think it's really hard for people to understand and experience that there's other ways to look at things. Right. 
um, if they haven't been supported in looking for solutions or viewpoints outside of their own kind of realm. Yeah, agreed. All right, you ready for mine? I am, let's get to it. All right, so this week for me, we're going to be talking about history in kind of a different way. We're going to be talking about two separate topics that, of course, intersect. Are you stealing my idea of intersecting and intersecting? (laughs) So I'm going to be talking about two preventable tragedies. Ooh, Ooh. intrigue. So the first one we're going to be discussing is the, the Chowler bus crash of 1963. And I forgive me if I mispronounced that. I looked it up twice and they said two different things. I never heard of that. So. Yes. So, and, and part of what drew me to it was because I kept finding topics that part of history is, as we discussed in the first episode, we only know the surface level stuff. There's all kinds of things. Everything we do every day contributes to history. Right. So let's set the scene. On September 17th, 1963... A bus of 58 men traveled from the Earl Myers Company labor camp and were returning from a day shift in Salina Valley, harvesting celery and other vegetables. Oh. Okay. So 53 of these men were a part of something called the Bracaro Program, which basically contracted workers for the season from Mexico. This program brought in labor from Mexico to assist the crop harvest. Okay. Okay. So the passengers were riding on basically two long benches, um, which were boards kind of tacked on to to the benches behind a truck. Okay, so this the the benches kind of ran the whole length of the vehicle, and the vehicle was a flatbed truck with a canopy over it, like a covered wagon situation. Exactly, exactly. Because these vehicles were usually purchased as regular trucks and converted. Some of them were altered in some ways that were not so safe. Okay. You don't say. Right. Traveling in covered They're wagon. Like, Bob can, can fix that up for you real good. What year was this? I'm so sorry. This is 1963. 1963. Okay. I have to stop singing. If I start singing, nobody wants to hear that. Uh, for example, um, it was really unsafe because it was impossible for the people in the back of the truck to communicate with anybody driving because it was completely separated they were covered. Noise couldn't get to the front, anything like that. So obviously it was really unsafe. So it's not like riding in the back of a pickup truck where you just bang on the window right. it to wasn't get like, the driver's attention. It wasn't like the eight-year-old. Um, I mean, there or was... my whole growing up experience in a small <laughs> right, town. Right. So it was it was different. Also, there were, um, you know, a, a, a lot of men here. There was 58 riding in this one particular vehicle. Okay. So it's important to note that it was... Um, so the, the way that they were coming uh, home from work was really typical of the time. Okay. So this transportation and the vehicle kind of layout was people were using it all, all over the place. Some of the workers were even sitting on the floor of the bus alongside the really long knives that they used to harvest the, the food. So, so safety was the top priority. Exactly. Regulations were so-so. So the driver, uh, his name was Francisco Espinosa, so, and they called him Poncho, which is how I'm going to refer to him Okay. Uh, throughout the, the story. But at 4.20 p.m., so 420. you know what's up, <laughs> Poncho was traveling east on a private road driving this vehicle. Okay, so it was a private road, uh, which... And inter- they were traveling <laughs> east? East. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> um, so this road intersected with a train track. Okay. So the intersection, Uh mm -hmm, 
The intersection was on private property, and so it wasn't required to have any type of hazard um, notice, any of the... No what signs. We, yeah, no signs, something Not that you the, would like, see. red and white drop thingy. Yeah, which I've gotten stuck between. Yikes. Yes. In How? Down, in downtown Greensboro. <gasps> do, you, do you know there's a road behind an apartment complex that you can turn right onto Elm? Uh-huh. And then immediately the tra- the railroad tracks. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. nobody was coming. So I went, not seeing that there was an actual. And this man looked at me and he was like, you better. Oh, <laughs> With shit. his eyes, he was like, run. <laughs> so anyway, I'm still here today. Um, so um, there was nothing marking anything. Also, just it's important to note that there was no trees or anything blocking. You could totally see that it was a train track. Mm-hmm. You could see. Whether a train was coming, nothing was blocking the view of the driver at the time going down this long road. Okay. Okay. So the freight train was from South Pacific Railroad, and it was pulling 71 cars uh, carrying sugar beets. Sugar beets? Isn't that adorable? Sugar beets and dates. Yeah. So the train is able to see that this car is coming and that Mm -hmm. they're going to intersect with each other. So the... But the car was not able to see that. The car was... Apparently unable to see it at this time. Okay. So the driver of the, the captain of the train, choo-choo, pulled on the emergency, um, emergency brake. So not realizing that the train was approaching, the truck driver moved slowly across the tracks as if you would normally when you have your 58 or your friends in the back, you don't just drive over a train track, right? Right, right. Really fast. So, but he went really slow over the train tracks. The train continued um, to to drive, and they uh, collided. Okay. Okay. So the train continued to travel for like three thousand feet <gasps> because you know, I mean, it's oh, no. hard to stop a train. We've all heard that, right? Yeah. I mean, it's really impossible. Okay, so thirty-two people died during this tragic accident. So a little over half. Yeah. Yeah. And it's considered to be the deadliest automobile accident in U.S. history. Oh, Yeah. R.I.P. I know. 15 ambulances carried the bodies to the hospital, and one victim was cut in half by the wheels of the train. Oh, my God. Yeah. No one in the train was injured. Wow. I really want to make a buddy thread good joke, no! but it feels kind of inappropriate. <laughs> yes. Actually, I hadn't thought about that. Yep. So, Poncho was arrested and charged with 32 counts on a felony manslaughter charge. Poor Poncho. I mean, Poncho should have been looking. So, and that's what we'll talk about here in a minute is that, like, I mean, if it's a wide, it's like Dixie Chicks wide open spaces, <laughs> how are you not seeing a train coming? A train coming. The train saw you and you're a car. And, yeah. like, you know, maybe, I mean, it was the end of the day. It was hashtag 420. So, who knows? But, I mean, like, I've been around trains and. You've watched movies with trains and we're stuck on the train tracks. You know when the train is approaching, A, you can hear the damn train. And B, if they put on that emergency brake, there's that high-pitched squealing sound. True. And, like, you have to be really oblivious yeah. to not see a train coming right so at you. So it was hard to find information about him specifically. Okay. Um, so I don't know if he was suffering from any mental illness if this was on or purpose. Or hearing loss, maybe? Hearing loss. It's unclear. Um, but regardless, I mean, he was charged with 32 counts. I mean, 32 counts of murder, essentially. Or no, it was manslaughter. Wow. 
Um, but it was later um, reduced to a misdemeanor charge. Right. So he claimed that he didn't hear or see the train approaching and that it was a total accident. Uh, and he eventually was acquitted of the charges. Really? Mm-hmm. That's surprising. He was. He he immediately fled California back to Mexico when he was acquitted. I mean, I don't I don't blame him for I that. I don't blame. So some might consider that you know a sign of guilt. Suspect, or... right? That he's fleeing the scene. But I mean, I would go home to be with my family if something really tragic like that. Because he... these are his friends in the back. Yeah, I mean, I can't imagine a world where. Without severe mental illness, you would want to intentionally kill anybody. Sure. Especially that many people in the back of your car. Sure. Like, I have to believe that that was an accident or he had severe mental illness. Right. And I would think that if he did have severe mental illness, we would it would be much more documented. Probably. So this guy is essentially living in his own hell because the guilt is probably overwhelming. Oh, right? Gosh, I can't so even imagine. So he's having a couple of really bad days. Um, and, um, later, uh, his sister reported that he was killed in Mexico by relatives of the crash victims. R.I.P. So, Poncho. <laughs> poor Poncho. Poor guy. I know. I'm just thinking about the death penalty, which mm-hmm. is essentially, I mean, without being killed in our prison system, I mean, people, vigilantes took it into their own hands. Yeah. Um. Which would also be possible in prison as well. Oh, absolutely. But I'm just thinking, like, from everything I've ever read about the death penalty and people, you know, wanting vengeance for someone who killed their loved one, it never actually brings you peace. True. Like, I mean, you might feel better momentarily, but then you've just killed somebody. Like, Well, and I don't know how, yeah, I don't know how those people were uh, apprehended if they were in, in Mexico. So I, you know. Yeah. That's a really good point. Yeah. Uh, I think it's much more natural for men to be vindictive and to kind of go after the revenge factor. Yeah. I don't know. But I feel, I feel really, it's a really tragic story because a lot of people lost their lives. And basically, like what I came away from the story was that the, the private property, I mean, obviously this was in another time, but mm-hmm. I mean, that this is why train tracks are marked as they were. I have a family member who died because he was hit by a train. Really? Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. Yeah, so this was my um, my mom's grandfather. Wow. Yeah. So we've I've gotten different stories about that. I don't know if she'll want me to talk about it here, but right. I mean, back in the day, you know, you don't uh, there there wasn't any regulations as far you know some people yeah. tried to beat the train. That was a big thing. I feel like kids still do that, especially yeah. you know really young people, asshole kids. asshole kids. Yeah. Yeah. Um. I think there's also the sense of being Superman and like nothing will actually kill you so I can do whatever I want. Oh, yeah. Um, And I think that like um, it's interesting to note what is now the younger generation? They're Gen X? No, they're Gen Z. Gen Z. Thank you. So those are those are the kids now. They're the ones learning to drive. Right. Because millennials, we've aged out. Yeah. And we know that people born in the year 2000 are now 21. So. We know all kinds of stuff. We we know shit. Um, so yeah, there's just a whole nother group of people coming up. Yeah. Um, all right, so my next story is gonna be about the deaths at Victoria Hall. A two for one. I love that. I know. So the other one was a little bit shorter, so I wanted to cover um, but this is a, a, again completely preventable. It should have never happened. 
Okay, are we going to come back to, at some point, um, any potential changes in legislation or whatever that came out of this? Well, they're both different. Um, they're both different topics. Okay. But as far as the railroad situation, we know now that, um, well, first of all, the program that the, those, um, the majority of the individuals who were participating mm-hmm. in no longer exists. Okay. They felt that it was taking advantage of migrant workers and that it was taking away jobs from U.S. employees. So which is... Which is a whole other topic. Oh, and we'll yeah. come back to that. I'm that sure. was a literal quote that I read, though. Um, and then um, I know that now there's definitely much more... This is at a time where kids were driving in backs of trucks. Yeah. Safety like was just now becoming important. And there were a ton of, of incidences over a, like a 30 to 40 year period of pe- people being hit by trains. Right. So I know now that the railroad system is much more uh, direct. There's a lot of lines that don't exist anymore that are through high traffic areas that mm-hmm. are just not needed because they yeah. were routed. So the deaths at Victoria Hall. Okay. So Victoria Hall was a really grand and impressive concert hall that stood in Sunderland, England, mm-hmm. and at the corner of Towered Road and Laura Street. Oh, such pretty names. I know, so we can visit it. So the concert hall was built in 1872 and was erected <laughs> to resemble the size and the style of the Crystal Palace, which was like a super grand architectural achievement in London at the time. So the the building was made of brick and it was built in like the uh, Gothic Revival style. So it had... It's my favorite style. It's really cool, but... It was kind of too modern for the times, or I guess too retro modern. It had the high peaks and the sharp angles, and people in the community were kind of like, this is kind of ugly, but like, I guess we'll go with it. I mean, they said the same thing about the Eiffel Tower. Well, that's true. And now somebody is married to the Eiffel Tower. Um, So the building was built by a Quaker minister, and his name was Edward uh, Backhouse. Backhouse, hey. <laughs> and it cost like the equivalent of $230,000 today, which is... I feel like that's surprisingly low. Super low. I mean, I'm assuming this is, you know... <laughs> Might be part of the problem. Yeah. Um. So there is speculation that the money uh, started to kind of run out towards the end because there's like a lot of structural differences there's obvious difference between the north and the south wall as far as heights go. So, like, there's definitely some... Some major issues Architectural yeah. uh, flaws. Discrepancies. So, inside the hall, the building could seat up to 3,000 people. Ooh. So, naturally, it hosted public meetings and entertainment. What we can assume is that because the owner of the building was a Quaker minister that the entertainment would be really wholesome. So mm-hmm. I saw that definitely a couple places where it was like, okay, so we're going to have this production hall, but like not everybody's going to be invited to come perform here. So right. your Buddhist scream band. Oh, would my death metal band? Death metal would not Dharma. have been invited. Yeah. Dharma's not invited. Dharma's not invited. Also, Magic Mike the Musical would not have made it. <laughs> so the venue was very wholesome and honestly like pretty forgettable. And uh, an article I read said, quote, the Victoria Hall would probably have maintained merely an example of Victorian architecture and forgotten by history had it not been for the tragic (gasps) incident that occurred in 1883. Dun, dun, dun. So let's set the scene. Do you have anywhere, any idea about where this is going? 
it's probably going to continue to take place in London, but that's all I've got. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not, yeah, it's outside of London. It's in England. I'm assuming that it's maybe similar to like the shirt coat factory, shirt waist factory. Oh, the fire? fire? Yeah. And was that in Chicago? No, New York. New York? Um, Luckily, no. Okay. But also, we'll see. Okay. Might be worse. On Saturday, June 16th, 1883, Victoria Hall served as the venue for a performance uh, put on by a traveling act from the local aquarium. Oh. They were called the Faze. And I say that in like a southern accent because that's how I feel like it should be pronounced. But it's uh, Can you spell that for me? F-A-Y-S. Okay. I was wondering if it was like Faye as in fairy, like F-A-E. Nope. Nope. Faze. But basically that was like basically like a magician. Okay. Okay. So a magician aquarium show? So I think he worked at the aquarium. They were, that was like his primary employer. And then the aquarium would be like, look, Bill, you got a gig over at the, uh, you know. Go pull a mermaid out of a hat. Yeah. Kind of, kind of thing. Um, the show was advertised to the community pretty exclusively to children. So they were really marketing towards the children, which is interesting because on the flyer, it says, quote, conjuring, talking waxworths. Live marionettes and the great ghost illusion. Is it just me or did you just put a whole bunch of words together that really <laughs> don't make sense? I know. Those are completely different thoughts. I mean, it's a poster. So, I mean, all of those seem pretty terrifying. I Can you read that to me just one more time? Conjuring. Uh-huh. Talking waxworths, which is like wax people. Oh. Like wax figurines. That is the most terrifying thing right? I can think of. I'm going to have this nightmares. Is the, this is the 1880s. So, like. This is like the epitome of, of entertainment. As someone children. who's been to a wax museum, I can think of nothing more terrifying than any of them ever talking sure. to you. Live marionettes. Uh-uh. My sister's a librarian, so I have some experience with puppets, which I think are... are but marionettes are like, they got the string. It's kind of like bye-bye-bye, a little insane well, thing happening. <laughs> well, I'm just thinking like... The live or the talking wax people, and then my brain went to live marionettes, like living marionettes, yeah, like Pinocchio after he's a real boy, yeah, mm-hmm. and that's terrifying yeah. too. So I I don't like anything about no, this. it's not, and also like the Great Ghost Illusion. Yeah, I I'm liking this less and less as you continue to yeah. go on. They promise that quote every child entering the room will stand a chance of receiving a handsome present, books, toys. Or a poltergeist. Or a poltergeist. Um, and therefore needing an exorcism at some point yeah. in their life. Can you, um, The tickets were sold for a penny each. That's how you know it's bad. Right. That's, a, <laughs> that's some Groupon shit right there. <laughs> Every child would be entered into a raffle with their ticket purchase. Okay. So you pay a penny. You, you get pay a, a ticket. So like, can you imagine like living in this really small town? Nothing ever really comes to happen. You have this like really big new art center and then your dream comes true and this like magician is going to come and like change your life and you get into a raffle. Sounds really exciting. And like the anticipation must have been like building. So at 3 p.m. on that afternoon, Victoria Hall packed in about 2,000 children. It's a lot of kids. Yeah. This was, like, a big deal. Also, like, this is when the, the time you could, like, send your child to the theater. Like, here's a penny. Go, go to the, you know, your 13-year-old sister's going to look after you. Right, have a good time. right. Don't fall in love with any other performers. <laughs> right. Sorry, I'm Please back come to, back. Um, oh, gosh. 
tipping the velvet where she like walks into a theater oh, and immediately sure falls does. in love with a performer. She sure does. I mean, there's probably some, you know, fantasies happening, but not for long, which is what we'll get to. Okay. So the performance kind of goes on without a hitch. Um, everybody's kind of having a really good time. Uh, the performance ends great. Everybody did a great job. So after the performance ended, they announced the children will receive raffle tickets. Like they'll basically pull their raffle number and that would be happening in a certain section. Mm -hmm. Simultaneously, prizes would be uh, being given out at the front of the stage. Right. Okay. So, and we know what kids do. Uh, Children on the balcony, because it was a two level kind of amphitheater situation. Okay. Okay. Children on the second floor became anxious that they would not receive prizes because they had, you know, because they were on the second floor. Because they were the floor. Cheap, cheap, cheap seats. Cheap sheets. So they began to make their way down the staircase in a hurry trying to get these prizes. Okay. So at the foot of the stairs coming down from the second level was a door that led to the bottom, bottom floor. Okay. That particular door opened inward. Okay. Which we know now. That is not good. Is a huge no That's a problem. So it was also bolted by the staff <gasps> to only allow 20 inches of space to open. Why? So the terrible design meant that only one child could exit at a time. So it was intended for a single file approach, assuming that there was... Now I see where this is going. Yes. And I don't know if this was specifically done for this event or if it was happening all the time, but it, of course, was happening during this event. Right. So a a few children who got there first were able able to get through the gap in the door. However, at some point, there was a flood of children. That congestion kind of grew. Yeah. Leaving a jam in the front and children kind of started pushing and things started kind of going awry as of there. Yeah. Because kids have no chill. Right. And because, like, the children in the back, like, nobody was supervising them. Like, they just kind of began pushing. Mm Because you don't understand what's going on at the front of the crowd. You're like, hey, what's going on? Like, why Mm -hmm. can't I get through? Like adults in a traffic jam. Exactly. So the children in the back had no idea what was happening in the front. The caretaker of the building, his name was Franklin Graham. He realized that something was happening. And he ran up to the other side of the balcony to guide the children down that way. So he was like... <laughs> we got Something a problem. Is happening. Yeah. Yeah. Got to fix it. So at the same time, the parents of the children started to realize that something was wrong and they tried to pull the children through the door one by one. That also sounds like not a great solution. Basically, it's chaos at this point. So, because you got kids wanting to exit and and they're crying and and they're packed, they can't get out. They can't get and out. And then parents start pulling. You've got dislocated arms at that point. Right. So tragically, the children who were trapped at the front were basically suffocated by the (gasps) pressure of those behind them. And reports concluded that the area at the front of the door, the bodies reached 20 deep high in some areas. What? Yes. So in total, 183 children suffocated to death. It's uncomfortable. I I know. Two of the youngest victims were three years old. And the oldest victim was 14 years old. You did not adequately prepare me for this. <laughs> I, uh, what? I know. Am I listening to? It's really tragic. So the aftermath of this is, of course, that emergency exits kind of came to be. Exits were required to then be pushed out. 
And the most positive thing that came from this is the invention of the push bar. So oh. public schools now have the push bar where it's, an alarm you don't will sound. Have to, you don't have to turn the knob of the door to, in order to open it. You can touch the door at any point along that bar and kind of push the door open that way. The person who invented this machine, his name was Robert Alexander Briggs, and he would have been 15 years old at the time of the Victoria Hall stampede. His patent was approved in 1891, almost 20 years after the incident. Can you imagine the people who performed that day? I I can't. They're just like having a really good show. Like they can't work again. No. Nobody's ever going to let their kids go to that show. I think I found the intersectionality in your story. Okay. And that is that people who may not have been responsible other than maybe marginally mm-hmm. are now going to live with trauma for the rest of their lives. And that's why they need people like you to assist them in navigating life after witnessing something, you know, so horribly. Thank God I'm not a therapist. I, I don't even know how to broach some of that with people. Um, yeah, that's really But no, tough. I can't even imagine standing up on that stage and being aware or not of what's going on and suddenly, you know. So when you were prefacing the story about being the Victoria Theater stampede, mm-hmm. my brain was like, oh, cool, will to be some London. Right. Not, Not children so cool. <laughs> stampeding each other. Right. Which, But can you imagine the, the artists performing at the time? I like, can't, though. Their career is essentially over. It they is. can't work again. They're never going to be able to work again. There's no way a good English mother is going to send their kid to go see, you know... Phase. (laughs) Well, it's interesting because, you know, in the US we have uh, stranger danger, like which happened in the 50s and 60s, 60s and 70s. Yeah. Where parents are all of a sudden like, "Mm, we need to start teaching our kids. No, it was later than that. It was like the 80s and 90s. There were a lot of serial killers in the 80s. Yeah. 70s and 80s. So I redact my previous statement (laughs) and would like to move forward with. There was stranger danger, and everyone just kind of assumed that someone was going to kidnap their kids. Yeah. And I'm imagining a similar mindset in London after this of, I can't send my kid anywhere. They're not safe even at the theater. Yeah. And what a terrifying thought as a parent Mm -hmm. to send them to a place that's supposed to be super safe. I mean, they were going to watch a magic show. Going to watch a magic show. (gasps) Yeah. Thinking a mermaid was coming out of a hat. Exactly. they want to go get a prize. Right. And... Wow. And like the guilt of the performers having just like being like, everybody gets a prize. Is that not the funnest thing you've ever heard? I mean, that's so much fun. I want a prize. I would have been at the front of that queue. Exactly. So the venue was basically two thirds full. Wow. At the time. So, I mean, granted, it's not like, you know, a, I mean, it, it was a big of performance that the venue had handled at the time. Right. So. Yeah, pretty much kind of ruined the um the whole the venue the venue's reputation. They had a couple of bad Yelp reviews after that. I can imagine. <laughs> I mean, even in retrospect, I could leave them a bad re- right. Yelp review because clearly, I mean, they were obviously thinking through. We don't want all these kids coming down the stairs. Mm-hmm. I imagine a teacher having helped design the store of we need to create order. Mm-hmm. Um, I've worked in schools like I know how teachers want yeah. to have order. And you don't ever expect to have the worst case scenario. Right. Um, No one plans for that. Nobody plans for that. All right. So you dropped a major bomb on all of us with metaphorical bomb. 
Not literal bomb, because now we know that stampedes are not just wildebeests <laughs> and metaphorical, they're real. And people do accidentally get killed on train tracks. Yeah. Which are two really heavy topics. Oh, yeah. So in thinking about how our, our two topics intersect this week, I think what's really interesting is that both of yours could have potential policy changes and outcomes mm-hmm. that help improve safety. Right. So safety Completely preventable. Exactly. So safety being the most basic level of human need, you're now by having new systems in place allowing us to elevate mm-hmm. our thinking to be able to meet those needs and then move up. Right. Yeah. So to make positive changes for Exactly. The good of people. <laughs> yeah. How it relates to chakras, I still have no idea, but I think that there's definitely a connection to well, maybe, Maslow. Maybe it comes about where that I think that we need to be consistently evaluating the way that things are done. Yeah. And kind of checking in and, and saying what can be better? What do I need to focus on? That's a great point. And it's just like, I mean, looking at your two examples from a very micro perspective of what could have been done in this situation with these people that would have, you know, helped them or even saved them mm-hmm. to society. So looking at people experiencing homelessness and poverty, mm-hmm. how do we meet their most basic needs um, so that we're able to to move up from there? Yeah, definitely safety. That yeah. Basic, that basic um, lower or upper mark of, of feeling safe and secure. Right. And thinking about the Victoria Theater, where obviously thought went into, you know, uh, we need to make sure... Kids come out one at a time so that they don't crowd the stage. Mm-hmm. Like there was higher level thinking in that. They just weren't thinking about the most basic needs. And I think that that's something that academics can do frequently oh, is yeah. start thinking about, you know, upper level, what's the big need here? Right. You know, we need to make sure that we can control X, Y, and Z without really thinking about the implications for people who don't have A met. Sure. And I can also wildly speculate and I and I, I'm not sure about this, but the we don't know the status of the children on the second level. That's true too. We don't know about how they were viewed by the community and whether there was an assumption what you know, that they needed to control them in some way or whatever. That's a really great point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Because I assume if the theater wasn't completely full, then there were probably still spaces downstairs. That's so how did point. they decide who was upstairs and who was right. downstairs? It's probably a very classist situation. That would be my guess. Yeah. Um, and when we're looking at having people's needs met, who's most likely to have their needs met, but people on the ground floor who yeah. already, you know, don't have to worry about their safety. Right. And are automatically up front when the prizes are given out. And, you know, maybe maybe it's a good representation that the children upstairs were so, like, excited and really, really needed that affirmation of even being able to be present at this event. You right. Know, might have been a huge deal for them. So No, absolutely. Speculating, of course. However. <laughs> I mean, but I, I don't think you're wrong based on how I see people being treated today. Like that would make so much sense to me just in terms of how we view income disparities and how we treat children. So even thinking about children in like Title I schools who don't have their basic needs met and can't afford, 
you know, paper and pencils and whatnot, the school isn't going to be given much more money to have those needs met. Mm -hmm. They're still expected to make do on the same thing that every other school is expected to make do on. And when we look at kids in the upper floor versus the ground level, their needs are different. Okay, so to bring us up a little bit, I really, I I have a pamphlet here that I found while I was cleaning my room the other day because I keep everything. And I, so this also intersects with both of our topics in that um, someone was trying to be preventive, preventative in their, um, in meeting people's needs and making sure that, you know, no one is going to get hurt. Okay. While also doing it really poorly. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Uh, Okay. So the pamphlet, this is from the Burke County Sheriff's Office Community Policing Division. Oh, good. Um, I haven't heard from them in a long time. (laughs) (laughs) So um, the title of this pamphlet is Look at You, Drunken Stupid, The Life of the Party. A few facts about underage drinking. No! (laughs) (laughs) I'm so glad I did not share this with you at the beginning. Yeah, me too. Because I really... And again, this all goes back to people who are well-intentioned, but just not... Oh, God. Not able Why to do men it. get it so wrong? Why men get it so wrong? Excellent. Yes, that's the tie-in of this. Okay, so here's a list of... I'm reading directly from the pamphlet. Perfect. Quote, Here's a list of things that drunks do that you might find cool or not. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let me see where I end on this. Is this like a Cosmo quiz? <laughs> this is... Uh, yes, this is exactly like a Cosmo quiz. Okay, number one. Having sex often not remembering what you did with or without consent with anyone or at times everyone. Oh, everyone. everyone. Oh, I love that plug-in. Number two, throwing up on the floor, furniture, yourself, your friends, or your date. Oh. I'm going to have to get that one a check. Yeah. 21st birthday. Number three. Oh, well, you threw up in front of the door. I did. I was almost home. Number three. Hugging and sticking your head in clean or dirty toilets that may or may not belong to you. They're just like covering their whole basis. They're like, we don't know what the state (laughs) of the status of the toilet. And number four, kissing, eating after, drinking after, and hanging all over just about everybody. Eating after other people, which is a COVID no-no. It's a COVID Mm no-no. Contracting AIDS, hepatitis, and other deadly bugs. Oh, (laughs) Number six, driving drunk and killing your friends, or maybe yourself, and if it makes it any easier, killing someone else's child. Wow. Okay. Can we talk about all the ways that this is inappropriate? We still have four more to go. Killing someone else's child. Got it. Okay. Um, Maybe if the person who had designed the Victoria Theater would have received this pamphlet earlier. Oh, we could have prevented We could have prevented Well, that's why this is called Preventable Tragedies. Preventable we're, tragedies. We're officially changing the name of our podcast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, number seven, getting angry at and hurting the people you love and oh, who love I you. I would never do that. I know, you are I'm not, such I'm, a sweet human being. Yeah, but some people do. Some people are fucking That's true. Assholes. Some people are horrible. Number eight, sitting in jail and making new friends. At least they're making new friends. Mm. Why you gotta be judgmental? Mm-hmm. Uh, number nine, Failing school and kissing your chance of a college education goodbye. Because that's Bye-bye. the only thing that they can perceive as success. And remember, this is all only because of drinking. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Just reframing that for you. Sure, sure, sure. And number 10, getting something that will last forever 
on a criminal record. Now, to wrap all of this up, and again, I'm reading directly from this pamphlet. Mm-hmm. No, these are um, your original. <laughs> Please send all of your emails to Carrie Ann directly. <laughs> I will not be giving out my personal email. You can send them to podwithoutanodd at gmail.com, where Allie will be reading them. No, no, no. <clears throat> um, yes, but yeah. Okay, so last page. Alcohol is a drug, all caps. Oh. Drinking leads to alcoholism, and alcoholism is a nice word for addiction. addiction. All caps. You wouldn't steal a car. <laughs> <laughs> Your body is not designed for alcohol intake. Alcohol is a poison to you. Drink enough of it, and you can vomit, have seizures, pass out, or die. Alcohol will damage your liver, causing cirrhosis, which keeps it from being able to remove toxins or poisons from your body. Mm-hmm. Alcohol makes you gain weight, which explains so much. I really <laughs> Hashtag COVID. Alcoholics lose weight because they quit eating. Well, those are conflicting ideas. They're a little conflicting. You can't hide the smell of alcoholic beverages. You are not fooling anyone. All caps. All caps. So I will be sharing this with you. I will you. also be putting this on Instagram Perfect. because this is way too good to oh, yeah. not we all share need with to anyone. be informed. I think it's from the 1980s, if I remember where I got it. Um, Wait, where did you get it? I got it when I was working at a school that was in Burke County. I'm not going to say which school. Sure. Um, but the person who gave it to me thought it was hilarious and um, has been working at that school for a very long time since the 80s so at some point they were handing this out to high schoolers got it so wow prevention gone wrong but thank you for letting me share this pamphlet with you absolutely Uh, i mean i feel i mean um as i drink the champagne i feel uh converted and changed yep we're continuing to have champagne with every episode which makes me so happy me too i mean i mean me too Didn't want to sound too excited about that right, champagne. Right, I'm like, let me give an appropriate amount of excitement about that. But, like, my, my voice doesn't register excitement like it does. One more thing to throw out there is one of the things I really miss most about pre-COVID life mm-hmm. is uh, dollar mimosas oh. on Sunday mornings following yoga yes. at a specific bar restaurant. In bar, an bar, arcade. arcade in Greensboro yes. that also had dill pickle pizza at the food truck right outside. I'm allergic to oranges and having the opportunity to have uh, pineapple juice instead mm-hmm. of orange juice in mm-hmm. my mimosa. They really met every single need that I have and all my uh, chakra needs. That's right. <laughs> I think that having a lifestyle that supports all of your safety and mental health needs is ideal of course it takes everybody a certain time to to get to all those places and we'll link some supportive um that's a great idea resources to assist anybody who's experiencing homelessness especially in our local communities we have a fantastic uh interactive resource center we also have um, Mutual Aid of Greensboro, mm-hmm. which, um, you know, just goes to support really anyone who needs it. And they do a, a great job of getting money to the people who need it most. So There's we'll also, also link that. Gate City Legal Service. Legal Services is yeah, a, yep. a law firm that supports people who need assistance affording their legal care. We are local, but we also care about things happening all across our country and, of and course, all across the world. So. Um, definitely reach out to us with your resources and we'd be happy to, um, you know, pass those on to other people on our website. I think that's it. 
Thanks, Karian. Thank you, Allison. <laughs> All right. If you support us, blink twice. And if you're out there, keep listening. Thank you for listening to Podcast Without an Audience. Find us on social media at Pod Without an Odd. You can find us on Instagram or Facebook. Or find us on the web at podcastwithoutanaudience.com. Shoot us an email at podwithoutanaud at gmail.com. Our cover art is created by an actual angel, Ashley Acevedo. Our music is by Zach Smith and Ted Oliver. Editing by Jacob Beeson. We hope you enjoyed today's episode and all of our nerdy content. Please consider leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to us today. Oh, and check out our Patreon for exclusive content and our pasta recipe. Again, thanks and keep listening.